All right, well, if you take your Bibles back out and turn to Luke 24, I'd appreciate that, Luke 24. We've been uh, navigating through uh, a series called His Mercy is More, and uh, as we've been going through that series, uh, we've just established how great God's mercy is, um, and, and we're going to look at it today, and we're coming today to the point of his, his grand gesture of mercy. Mercy was not only the crucifixion we saw and we heard about and we celebrated here on, and contemplated on Good Friday, but now today we celebrate this grand gesture of mercy as he rises victoriously from the grave. There is no greater mercy uh, than what God has done through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And today we're going to look at that. So uh, Hoyt came up and he read the first part of the Easter account, uh, verses 1 through 13 or 12. And now we're going to pick it up in verse 13. I'll pray for us and we'll read uh, the rest of the account today that we're going to look at. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and that uh, you have the, the greatest mercy anyone could ever receive. So God, as we look to your word today, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive. That God, we would respond in faith to the Son of God given for us, that we might for be forgiven and have righteousness that is not of our, ourselves, and that we might have life because he rose from the grave. God, convict us of sin. Encourage us towards the truth of your word. Humble our hearts that we might be willing clay to be molded by the potter and conformed into the image of Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in verses 13 uh, through 27 together. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they have crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Wow, is right. We're going to look at that account today, and uh, today's sermon title is We Have Hope. We have hope, and uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we do have hope. And, but we're going to look at this story, and we're going to look at, at maybe some misguided hope as we go, and, and that we need to place our hope really where it counts and not on things that it doesn't count, all right? So uh, number one here, we see uh, we have hope, and I, I put number one here, well, we had hoped. We had hoped. 
Hope you, hopefully you caught that in the text a little while ago. You know, we have hope, but we use that word a bit loosely, don't we? Hope. Do you ever use that word loosely? Or it doesn't really mean much? I hope my team wins today. My kids would say, I, I hope we get to get some ice cream later. They're really hoping for it, right? Maybe it's deeper than that. I hope I'll find value and worth with this person in this relationship. Maybe it's, I hope that said ice cream would make me happy. You see how our hope is misguided? And we come to that place where we, where we really do say, well, I, I had hoped. I had hoped that that would be fulfilling. I had hoped that that would work out. I would hoped that what I thought would be, or when, what I intended would be what actually happened. So we go back to our, our text there in Luke 24. We're, we'll look at 17 through 24, just a snippet here of that larger text. And, and I want us to see the attitude of what's going on with these disciples. Uh, he asked, what, what, what is this dispute you're having? So they're arguing on the road. and What are you having with each other uh, while you're walking? And they stopped walking. And what does it say? And they looked discouraged. They looked discouraged. They, they didn't have what they thought they needed. They didn't have who they thought they wanted and would have. And one answer said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened these days? Are you the only one who doesn't know the things? And, and look at Jesus' response. It gets me every time. I actually think it's pretty funny. What things? Jesus asked. What, because everyone should know what things have happened and transpired. So what does Jesus say? He says what things. But I want you to understand, when we get to that place in our life, when we say, man, we really had hoped this would work out. We really had hoped this is what would happen. We can, we can verbalize that and say that, but we need to ask ourselves a question. What things had you hoped? Tell me more about that. You see, what Jesus was doing, he was saying, let me ask you a question about what's going on in your heart. Where had you placed your trust? I want to know more. And obviously, you should probably know more as well. And maybe when you actually say it, you'll realize how silly it really was to put your hope there. What things, he asked. So they said the things. They said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. You see how it, it identifies their fallacy? That, that he asked what things, and they said, we had this powerful leader. We had the Messiah, the one who was going to redeem Israel. We knew that he was going to take over and take charge. We knew that he was the one who was going to lead us into the promised land. We followed him. We'd been with him. We'd seen him. And they killed him. In fact, our chief priest handed him over to be executed. And we were hoping that he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. You see how defeated they are and how discouraged they are? Their Messiah, their leader, their, when what they expected him to be had not turned out. That type of hope is no hope at all. The we had hoped needs to be checked in our heart. What had you hoped for? What did you, what did you think was going to happen? They went on, they said, besides all this, it's the third day since this happened. Now, there's some question about what this means. They may have said, it's been three days and we're still sad and we don't know what to do. 
Or maybe, maybe in some form or fashion, they're remembering Jesus said something about three days, and we're expecting him to rise. I don't, I don't know, right? He goes on, moreover, uh, it's the third day since these things happened. And, and then some women from our group astounded us. So maybe they weren't expecting him to rise because they were astounded at this news. They astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported what they'd seen, uh, that they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now right there, you think, okay, we're on to something. Something big is about to happen. That we had hoped maybe it's coming true. But still, what are they hoping for? They're hoping that, man, he is, he is alive. He is now more powerful than ever, and, and he's going to wipe out his enemy. So what do they do? They go. They said, they said this, and then they, some of us went to the tomb and found it just like the women had said, right? Empty. But they didn't see him. Defeated again. Discouraged again. They had expected to see the risen Lord if he had actually risen from the grave. They expected to go into battle or to take over whatever. Now is the time. We found it just as the women had said. But we didn't see him. They were discouraged. Again, they were sad. They probably went back to the thought of someone, someone stole his body. This is getting worse by the minute for them. Their hope had been elevated at one point because Jesus was there. But when their Messiah had managed to get himself arrested and handed over to the Romans and then crucified, it seemed like all was lost because they had hoped. See, Jesus now seemed like a disappointing delusion because they had hoped in something different. They were mourning and they were full of grief and confusion. They thought Jesus was the one, but he did not deliver for them. The response was kind of ironic, wasn't it? Because they're speaking to Jesus on the road to Emmaus. That certainly has kept them from seeing him, but they're speaking to the risen Savior all the while on the road to Emmaus. Jesus there is exposing their hearts and their unbelief. In fact, they, they should know better. They should know better. Their hope was misplaced, and they thought, they, they thought what they wanted and what they believed was now all wrong. You ever think about things or think things about Jesus that are wrong? You ever have misguided hope or misplaced hope in a Jesus that you've made up? Maybe he'll make you rich or he'll fix all your relationships. He'll satisfy your longings. Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe you thought that he would change the leadership in your community, your nation. Jesus is the Messiah. But they should know better. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark is just before the book of Luke. Mark chapter 8. I want us to see why they should know better. Mark 8, we're going to begin in verse 31 and read through 33. I want to see, see the response Jesus has to the heart of his disciples, Peter, his disciple Peter, and, and the, the response he has to us. In Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, it says, Then he began to teach them, that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and to rise 
after three days. He spoke openly about this. What happened? Remember their expectation. We had hoped. So what did Peter do? Peter here says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. It was a pattern from the beginning, wasn't it? Jesus said, I'm I'm the Lamb of God. I was born to die. I'm the one who's going to be the Savior of the world. I'm the one prophesied about in Isaiah, and, and I'm ready to go to the cross because the world needs the perfect Lamb of God to be slain for their sins. And Prophecy said that he would rise from the dead. And Jesus said that it's necessary that I suffer. Why is it necessary? Because you need forgiveness. No, you don't need a new leader right now. You need forgiveness. You need atonement. I'm here to die. I'm here to suffer. I'm here to rise from the dead. But that's not what they had hoped for. Why? Because they were thinking not about God's concerns, but about human concerns. Again, back in our text, Luke 24, he said, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. He's like, let me, let's go back to the basics again. Let me show you clearly what's laid out about the Messiah so that you would know he's not what you had hoped for but he's exactly what you need. We had hoped really becomes, number two, a pitiful hope. I want us to understand that it's a pitiful hope. When we, when we get to the place of our own reasoning, our own desires, our own human concerns, and we, we seek a Jesus and hope for a Jesus that we had wanted him to be for ourselves, we don't see or get the Jesus we really need. And that is a pitiful hope, number two. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then we have Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, please. So we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 22 of chapter 15. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he, he exposes this, this huge contrast between who Jesus really is and what Jesus really was about and where we might place our trust. He says in verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. It's futile to, to believe that we have a Messiah who can save but didn't really rise from the dead is a futile endeavor. It will be only good for this life, which is good for about that much. He says, of course Christ is, is, is proclaimed because of course Christ is raised. He goes on in verse 15. He says, moreover, we have found or we are found to be a false witness of God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, apparently, right? In fact, the dead are not, or in, in fact, the dead are not raised. Or if, in fact, the dead are not raised. 
He's, he, he says, it's a futile endeavor to believe in a Christ that hasn't been raised. And it's a futile endeavor to, to proclaim him. In fact, you are a liar if you proclaim him as worth anything of value if he has not been raised from the dead. Then we go to 16. It says, for if the dead are not raised, the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Did you catch that? This is, this is the crux of the whole matter. This is why the resurrection counts for everything. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. We see this next if-then here coming. Uh, those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. So there was hope. They were, they were hoping that those who had died before, they were asking Paul this question, are they going to be alive again? Are they going to be raised to newness of life? And of course, the answer is yes, because Christ has been raised. But they said if there's no resurrection, then that won't happen. Then verse 19 if we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. I have to be honest with you. I, I usually have stopped reading this verse after verse 17. Because 17 is what we hear all the time. 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. But to think of this, this we had hoped type hope. And how pitiful of a hope that is. And verse 19 sheds light on that. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, then we are to be pitied more than anyone. We must not hope in Jesus only for this life. And we only could if he had stayed in the grave. But God's mercy is so much more than temporary. God's mercy is so much more than temporal. It is eternal. So we look at verse 20. But as it is, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. He's saying, listen, sin has entered the world through Adam's uh, sin. In, sin has entered the world. We are all sinful and separated from God. And through that transgression, everyone is condemned. Everyone will die. But through Christ's obedience to death and to, to his resurrection, those who have faith in him will live. But if he hasn't been raised from the dead, we are to be pitied more than anyone. Our sins, they are many. But his mercy is so much more. Amen? And there is a helplessness at times. There is a despair that we feel, and especially as you're walking on the road to Emmaus and you're, you're dejected and you're, you're even kind of like duped in some way by your own thoughts of who the Messiah should be. And I, I found this verse in Lamentations chapter 3. Just listen. It says, I have been deprived of peace. I've, I've forgotten what prosperity is. And then I thought my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them, and I have become depressed. And if we, if we have that kind of hope where it's we had hoped, and that pitiful hope, this is where it's going to lead us to ultimate despair. Yet, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's faithful love we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great 
is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in Him. Amen? We, we have to transfer our thoughts of, of what we want God to be and what we think God should be for us. And we, we need to go to Him as He really is in His steadfast, faithful love with His mercy and His un, undying mercy for us as He's given it to us in Christ, crucified and risen. And we trust in that steadfast, faithful love of God and He becomes our hope and we will put our hope in Him. See, hopelessness should lead us to the eternal mercies of God for who He really is. And what is He? He is actually a living hope. Amen? He's a living hope because He's risen from the dead. That's number three, a living hope. Turn with me to 1 Peter, if you would. Chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Quite a bit more back towards the back of the Bible. Your first, second, third Peter, or first, second Peter, uh, first, second, third John, Jude, and Revelation. Revelation being the last book. First Peter chapter one. Let's let's talk about this living hope. Let's see this hope that we have in Christ. And now Paul has explained this in Corinthians. We just saw this a minute ago that there's there is a resurrection, and because he's been raised, we have life, and are made alive with Christ. Because our sins are many, but his mercy is more. So in First Peter we see in chapter one verses three through nine. It's written, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We only have this new birth, we only have this living hope through the resurrection. Because if He didn't rise from the grave, there is no power over death. And death will still hold on to us. And He's given us this hope into an inheritance that is imperishable. It will never fade, it will never fail us, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. It's being kept. You're being guarded through faith. See, when we have faith in Christ, He guards us. He guards our heart. He guards our soul. We find rest for our soul because we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in this. We rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary... You suffer grief in various trials. So our grief and our suffering are still going to take place, but our eternal hope is set and secure and sure. Amen? You see the difference? We like to exchange those, don't we? We like to say, I don't want the temporary suffering. I want that gone. But in doing so, we, we get a Messiah who we had hoped for, but not the one we needed. Because now our eternity is at stake. We're through faith in Christ. This temporary life, we're going to suffer. We're going to have struggles. We're going to, we're going to have things that are pains like death and grief and sorrow. But Christ rose victoriously and gives us a new hope in His Son. You rejoice in this, even through, though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, right? This is a character of faith. It's not your proven character. It's the character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire. This proven character may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And, and we rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because, again, here's, here's the fruit of looking at him as a living hope, because you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. You see, a living hope guards and protects and saves our soul. A temporal hope, a 
mortal hope. There's nothing like that. It may increase our life. It may uh, bring us a little bit of happiness. Sometimes we may have stuff to our name, but when we die, we die. And we will not have the eternal hope, a living hope that Christ has wanted us to have. And because he, di- he died and because he rose, so can I. And that's what Paul was saying earlier. He, he rose, and so we can rise. And if he didn't rise, then we cannot rise. It is necessary that he die so that he can rise again. This is what the disciples didn't get on the road to Emmaus. Why did he die? It's necessary for him to die because he can't rise unless he dies. And you can't have life and rise either if he doesn't die. It's necessary so that when you die, you can, through faith, rise. That's something, listen, that's something no government leader can do. That's, that's something that, that we can't even find, find hope in in the, in the little things we, we make up about Jesus. We, the little things we say, this is who I had hoped he was. That won't satisfy. It will be misguided and pitiful and end in failure. You are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in him, are in God. Our faith and hope have to be in what is really hopeful, where there is really hope. We have a living hope in him. It's not a pitiful hope. It's not a we had hope. We have, to, we have to get over that and go to that place of saying, I need Jesus. I need the risen Savior, the living hope that he produces in me through faith in Jesus Christ because he died, because he rose. And he said it to his disciples in John. He said, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live you will live too. That leads to number four, our final point. This hope that we have is a soul-securing and satisfying hope. It's a soul-securing and satisfying hope. Why? Because it comes from the promise and unchangeable purpose of God. I'm going to read a text out of Hebrews. Just listen with me. You You can look it up later. The author of Hebrews says this, for when God made a promise to Abraham, so here's God's promise, right? This, this hope comes from a promise and unchangeable purpose of God. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you, he says. And after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves and for, for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchanging purpose even more clearly on top of the promise to the heirs of promise. He he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things, again, the promise of God and his unchangeable purpose uh, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before before us. Because God's, God's promise, his love, his steadfast, faithful love, and because of his unchanging purpose, that, that God didn't change his mind midway saying, ah, I'm just going to leave them alone. I'm, I'll do my own thing again. 
He always had his eyes set on us. He always had his eyes set on the redemption through the cross of Christ and through the resurrection that you and I would have life because he rose from the grave. He always had that in mind, that you and I could seize the hope set before us. Grab tightly, hold on to it with all you've got. For most of us here, you probably could recall that time in your life where you seized it. You seized that hope. You knew that there was no hope outside of yourself, and you ran to Jesus, and you grabbed on. You, you, you couldn't explain anymore. You couldn't reason anymore. There's no more debate to be had. He is God, and you are not, and you have to seize him. And the author goes on, he says, we have this hope. When you seize that, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Isn't that amazing? You think about a ship on the sea, it, whether, it's a, whether it's a little dinghy on a lake or a huge ship in the ocean. When you are tossed about and the, or the wind comes and drives you around, what secures you? What, what happens? You drop that anchor. And I think about that huge, big, awesome anchor you see on TV all the time, right? The one that just drops down the ocean and hits the bottom and secures that ship in place. It doesn't matter what the storm is doing. It doesn't matter what's going on. That, that, that ship is now secure. That's how our faith ought to be in God. That's how our hope ought to be in God. We seize that hope of Christ crucified and risen according to the promise of God and the purpose of God. And we have this anchor, this hope as an anchor for our soul. It is firm and secure. And he goes on and says, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. This is Jesus going in on our behalf. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. He has become the high priest forever. He's a once and done priest. It's not a continual thing all the time. Jesus' perfect lamb sacrifice of himself accomplished accomplished everything we need. His life, his death on our behalf and his resurrection have given us a firm and secure and satisfying hope and anchor for our souls. You see, in him, we have real hope. And in him, we have rest. Turn with me one last time, please, to Psalm chapter 62. Right about the middle of the Bible, maybe a little bit to the left. Psalm 62. In him we have hope, in him we have rest. Psalm 62, beginning in verse 5. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge. My salvation and my glory, going back to verse 7, depend on God. My rock, my refuge is in God. I, I want you to think as we, as we challenge our hearts and challenge the we had hopes of our hearts, wherever you were placing your hope, wherever you're placing your trust. And listen, saying nothing about Jesus, saying, pushing Jesus aside and saying, I don't want to deal with him at all, you are still placing your hope somewhere. Everyone still places their hope somewhere. Everyone at the end of the day will say, 
well, I had hoped this was correct. I had hoped this would be fulfilling. I, 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 I had hoped I might find life there or rest there or satisfaction there. But I'm here to tell you that without Christ, it's impossible. You'll continue that search forever. So stop fighting and let, let this salvation and glory depend on God. My salvation and glory depends on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. We can only find refuge there. We can only find sure footing there, secure, anchored hope in Him and find rest for our souls. As we, as we close today, I, I want to I say and pray like Paul did in Ephesians chapter 1. He, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of His strength. It is not a weak or useless or pitiful hope. It is a living and secure hope by the power of God. What power might you ask? Well, Paul continues. He says, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only this in this age, but also in the one to come. How do we have a secure, living, powerful hope? Because God raised Christ from the dead, and that same power is, is made available to us who come to Christ in faith and believe. See, God, in His great mercy, has given us a living hope through Christ crucified for our forgiveness as an atoning sacrifice, shedding His blood for our sins, and raising Him to life so that we, through faith, might also live and have real hope. Amen? Christ is risen. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. God, we ask as we continue this morning in worship, God, I ask that you would, you would make it a response from our heart. God, we would want to, to praise you for who you are. We want to give everything that we have inside to you. But God, I pray that we would come to you as a living hope. God, that if, if there's people here still today who are putting their hope and their trust in whatever they had thought, in the we had hopes of their life, that they would exchange that for the real hope, the anchoring hope, the secure hope, the living hope of Jesus Christ. May they come to faith in what He has done, what He has accomplished for their forgiveness and for their eternal life. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.